the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the Beatitudes. People try to make them into a checklist, a a step-by-step recipe to success of one sort or another, but aren't they really sort of obvious statements like water is wet or the sky is blue? For instance, take the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This makes total sense. We just learned a couple weeks ago from the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The one who is poor in spirit, well, that's the one who is humble, not proud or exalting himself, so he fits the profile. Water is wet, the sky is blue, the proud are condemned. Ergo, of course, it is the poor in spirit who are in the kingdom of heaven. It's not just a future thing, because the kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus is, and Jesus is present now in his means of grace to forgive sins. The proud don't want forgiveness, so they see no need for the means of grace, and so they reject the present Jesus and his kingdom. The poor in spirit, though, gladly receive Jesus and his forgiveness in his word and sacraments. And receiving the king, they also receive the kingdom. Next one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, pretty obvious. Those who don't mourn will not be comforted. Mourning recognizes loss and death are real and terrible. Mourning acknowledges that there is something fatally flawed about this world because of the wages of sin, death. Those who don't acknowledge this aren't going to mourn as Jesus describes here. They might get angry, but they won't grieve or face what's really going on. They might turn the funeral into a sort of retirement party for the one who has died, 
but they'll avoid the truth that sin and death are the foes. If they refuse so to mourn, they will never be ready to hear of Jesus. However, those who mourn death as the wages of sin will be compelled to cry to God for mercy and grace in Christ. He will be their consolation. He will be their hope. He will be their life. They will mourn, but they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Yeah, not the present earth that's falling apart due to sin, but the new earth that God brings forth on the last day at the resurrection. It's for the meek, which sounds a little funny in the present world where the meek get stepped on by the desperately arrogant who want to grab everything for themselves now. But the meek are those who repent of their sins, arrogance included, and then they follow in the footsteps of Jesus and put others before themselves. Repentant, they are forgiven for their sins. Forgiven, the new earth is theirs to inherit because they remain in Christ and alive after the final judgment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This might be the most obvious of the bunch. Those who don't hunger and thirst for righteousness either want to be unrighteous or believe that they're righteous already, and neither of those see the need for Jesus. But those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they say, I don't have it, I need it, and I pray that Christ would take my sins away. The Lord hears these prayers, forgives them their sins, and fills them with his grace, covers them with his righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's not like people earn God's mercy by their work of being merciful. Rather, if they're not merciful, it means that they're living in the way of unrepentant sin. The unmerciful don't want mercy, but the merciful know that God has been merciful to them. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. More water is wet kind of obvious stuff here. The impure in heart won't see God, nor will they want to. When they stand in judgment, Scripture says they'd rather the mountains fall on them and bury them. So who will see God and who will want to see God? Those whose hearts are purified. Those who are forgiven. And that is for the sake of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. While those who aren't making peace are causing strife and bullying others to get their way in the time that they have, and that is the way of unrepentant sin. And if unrepentant strife makers aren't going to be called sons of God, who's left? The peacemakers. The peacemakers aren't busy bullying to get their way in the time that they have because... They know they're going to live forever. They're going to live forever because Christ has shared his peace with them, taking their sins away. And so they are sons of God because the inheritance of heaven is theirs for Jesus' sake. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who don't suffer for righteousness' sake are those who are willing to deny Jesus when persecution comes along, which means they're also resisting the Holy Spirit's work to strengthen them in that time of trial. Those who suffer for righteousness' sake are those who know that they have eternal life in Christ, and that's worth holding on to even when the world is trying to persuade them otherwise. Same when Jesus next says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The easy way to escape getting reviled and persecuted for being a Christian is to abandon the Christian faith. And those who abandon the Christian faith reject his gifts of life and salvation. Those who hold to the faith by his grace, even in the midst of persecution, they still have the faith. They still have his grace. And so, yes, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I said at the start that a lot of people take the Beatitudes and turn them into a checklist for getting to heaven. If that's what Jesus is trying to do here, he could just say, if you want to get to heaven, then you'd better work hard at being poor in spirit, at mourning, at being meek, hungering, and thirsting for righteousness, and all the rest. When he sits down to preach the Sermon on the Mount, that's pretty much what his hearers are expecting. But instead of just giving commands to be obeyed, he phrases them as blessings attached to promises. Now, some will say that he's just trying to be encouraging. You know, it's tough for people to keep his commandments, so he starts out by giving his law in bite-sized pieces with plenty of attaboys so that people are more willing to try. But if you read much further into Matthew 5 and 6, you find that that's not it at all. I mean, soon Jesus will be saying that you're guilty of murder just for getting angry. You're guilty of adultery just for that lustful thought that floated through your head. Jesus isn't out to make the law sound easy. He's out to make it sound downright impossible to keep. After all, the ones who oppose him most at that moment are the Pharisees who believe that you're saved by keeping the law. Jesus is all about repentance, and repentance bears fruit. So while Pharisees will say, you'll be blessed by being poor in spirit, skilled at mourning, meek, and all the rest, Jesus says, repent of your sin, and your repentance will bear the fruit of humility, of hope and grief and meekness and all the rest. It's the one who repents who is blessed, because it's the one who repents who is forgiven and covered with Christ's righteousness and Christ's meekness and Christ's sorrow over death and his victory over death, and all the rest. These Beatitudes then are really all about Jesus, the one who has kept the law perfectly for us. We speak often of what's called his passive obedience, that he submitted to die on the cross to take away our sins. We should always just as much rejoice in his active obedience that Jesus has kept the law perfectly for us. He has been perfectly poor in spirit, even though as the Son of God, he certainly didn't have to be. 
He has mourned perfectly. He has been perfectly meek. He has perfectly hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Again, not for himself, but for us. All of this lays the foundation for celebrating the festival of all saints. The people of God are holy not only because Jesus has taken away their sins, but also because Jesus covers them with his holiness by crediting them with his perfect obedience. They are blessed not because they have lived up to the Beatitudes, but because Jesus has for them. As you remember the saints, remember them as living stones built upon the foundation of Christ. When you remember those you know who have died in the faith, you remember imperfect people whom you probably loved. They had their good parts and their not-so-good parts. And though we don't really talk about it, they had those terribly sinful thoughts that they never even told you about. And you know this because you have sinful thoughts so terrible that you would never admit them either. In mourning those who have died, it's perfectly natural to dwell upon the good and let the bad fade away because you know it's tough to live in this world and while their sins and flaws bothered you, in part they bothered you because you're also sinful and flawed and facing death. Remember the good and let the bad go. It's not bad, but it's not good enough for God. The Lord does not say of his people, you had enough good that I'm overlooking the bad. And he doesn't say, I'll let you into heaven because I guess you were better than you were worse. Instead, he says, I declare you righteous because Jesus shed his blood for you. And if Jesus shed his blood for you, you're not just acceptable in my eyes. You're perfect. Keep this in mind for another thought that will bother you. Namely, when are we most ourselves? I mean, when somebody has a bad day, we usually say something like, he wasn't himself that day. But given what the Bible says about sin, the truth is probably more like, he was being himself that day, but he let his guard drop while the rest of us didn't. So... When are we ourselves? When are we most us? Is it the day that we're born? Is it that day in our 20s when we're in our physical prime? Is it the day that we die? I bring this up especially if you are given the grief of watching someone slowly deteriorate until death. When is or was that loved one most himself? In Christ, the answer is simple. You are most yourself when you are raised from the dead. That's when the people of God are finally who God created them to be. Adam and Evish, perfect in body, mind, and soul, holy and sinless for Jesus' sake and living forever. When you care for one who is dying in the faith, even if they are becoming irascible, Remember that they are cleansed by the blood of Christ. Remember, their resurrection is going to be spectacular. And always cling to this for yourself. 
When are you most you? How does the Lord look upon you to determine your fitness for his kingdom? As one of his baptized children, he sees you as cleansed by his son's blood and covered in his righteousness. You don't face living and dying, hoping that your good outweighs your bad enough for God to let you skate. Instead, you have the confidence that in Christ, you're forgiven, you're holy, you're righteous. In Christ, you're perfect. Blessed are you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.